In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the second Sunday of Epiphany, this uh, season of varying length between uh, the end of Christmas and the beginning of Lent. And uh, as we go through this season, we are continuing with that theme of of the epiphany of God revealing himself to the world, of him making himself manifest, making himself known to the world, uh, here making himself known to the disciples, uh, the disciples making him known to us, and, and us making God known then to the world. Uh, that is our theme during this season of epiphany. And one of the key places in Scripture where we see uh, God making himself known in a new and radical way is here in the story of the Exodus. You'll remember that uh, Abraham uh, has Isaac and Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons uh, and Jacob is renamed Israel. You'll remember that uh, Jacob and his uh, next to the youngest son, Joseph, uh, lead the people down into Egypt during that drought. And that the 70 of them as a family go down into Egypt and they rest there, uh, saved by God during that drought. And that they're told they'll be there for 400 years. And indeed they are. And during that time they fall into slavery in Egypt. And after that 400 years or so, they are raised up and brought out uh, by the servants Moses and his brother Aaron. They are uh, brought out of Egypt in a very unique way, a really a strange way, in which uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh, you'll remember, several times and says, uh, let my people go into the wilderness to make sacrifice to me. And you'll remember that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He agrees and then he changes his mind and then he agrees and he changes his mind. And, and each one of those times a, a plague comes when Pharaoh's heart is hardened. There is a, a consequence to the hardening of his heart. Uh, there's a result in that and the result are these, these plagues. And as the plagues go on, at first it seems as if the Egyptians and the nation of Israel are suffering together and then the Lord starts having them do things to separate themselves from the Egyptians. He starts asking them to do things to make themselves separate. Uh, they're asked to stay in Goshen, the land that they're dwelling in, or uh, they're asked to bring themselves and their cattles into their homes to protect them from the hail. So you remember that they increasingly are asked to, to separate themselves and to, to be obedient to God. And that pinnacle of that obedience, that separating themselves, happens uh, in the middle here of the tenth plague. The tenth plague is the plague of death. You'll remember that the Lord says the angel of death will come. He will destroy all the firstborn, both of people and of cattle. And the way that you're going to uh, be preserved from this is uh, in this Passover sacrifice. So the angel of death will pass over their homes. And so they're given this uh, quite lengthy description of how it is that they're supposed to be obedient and sacrifice. Sometimes when we read these things and we read about the preparation of the Passover lamb, of the bread that isn't leavened, of the way that they're supposed to eat, and the prayers, and how they're supposed to, to have the staff in their hands, and put the blood over the lentils. Sometimes we start to think that there's some magic, you know, that somehow what they do is preventing God from, uh, from destroying them, or somehow uh, they're making themselves known to the Lord, like the angel is going through and saying, oh, I see the blood, I won't 
Passover, right? We get this very uh, mechanical or almost magical understanding. Indeed, what's being shown to us over and over again is this concept of obedience. And sometimes it seems like the scriptures are repeating themselves. We'll see where the Lord tells Moses something, and then Moses tells the people something, and then the people do it or don't do it, right? And sometimes, like in this passage where we read that they do it and they worship the Lord, it almost seems like the scriptures are repeating. When really the point that's being conveyed to us is, the Lord told Moses, Moses said exactly what the Lord said, and then the people did exactly what the Lord told them to do. And this is really the point, isn't it? The point is the obedience of the people to the word of God and to uh, Moses. That they have uh, been told what's going to happen and what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to respond, to separate themselves in obedience under the Lord's will. And then when they do that, they're saved from death. And indeed, they're saved from death and they're saved from Egypt. By following those uh, rules of God, by following that description of what the Lord wants them to do, they're not only saved from death, they're brought out of slavery. They're brought out of Egypt and eventually they are uh, brought into the promised land. So we have this concept of the Passover, of, of the Lord passing over due to the blood of the lamb of sacrifice that's put on the lintel, the doorpost of the house. And again... That sign isn't as much for the angel of the Lord as if the angel of the Lord didn't know who the nation of Israel was, as if the Lord didn't know who his people were. The marking on the door is for the people, right? They've got to remind themselves. We've got to remind ourselves who it is that we belong to. We've got to make it obvious, right, to our neighbors and to our friends, to our community, to to one another. I belong to the Lord. I'm following what the Lord wants me to do. Sometimes it may look a little silly, (laughs) painting my doorpost with blood, but I'm showing my willingness to be obedient to God. And indeed, this is the theme that we should be thinking about when we read St. John's Gospel here in chapter 1, when John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. When he says, Behold the Lamb of God, instantly in our minds we're supposed to think about the Lamb of God in the Passover sacrifice. It's a really strange thing to say about somebody. Right? That's a strange thing to call somebody. Behold God's sacrifice. Because immediately we're thinking of the blood that is supposed to be shed and then painted over the doorposts of our homes to make ourselves known as those who are faithful and obedient to God. So he's saying that about Jesus. He's saying Jesus is that lamb. Jesus is that Passover lamb. It's his blood that's going to be put onto the doorways of our hearts and to our minds in an effort on our part to be obedient and to set ourselves apart, belonging to God and separate from the world. And again, it's a very strange thing. And his listeners, of course, have to hear it more than once. Right? The gospel starts by saying the next day. The next day is after the baptism. So those that were there already heard this voice from heaven, saw this dove descend, right? They'd seen this miracle. They'd seen Jesus. And then they've got to see him again the next day. And then John says again, behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Son of God, right? And and so he proclaims who Jesus is. The third time now that Jesus comes, right? Threes. 
Very important, this holy number, right? The third time Jesus comes, the day after the day after his baptism, John says it again. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who will take away the sins of the world. Well, all of a sudden, this is a different kind of a Passover, isn't it? The Passover in Exodus was preserving them from one night of death and leading them out of slavery. Now we're talking about washing away the sins of the whole world. Now the angel of death isn't passing over some homes in Egypt. The angel of death is passing over all of creation. And that kingdom that has come, that judgment that has come, is what Jesus is saving us from. This is a final judgment. This is a final analysis. This is about the whole world. So this Passover lamb is about saving all of creation. And when finally the disciples start to hear, John's disciples start to hear what it is that John is saying, they say, okay, well, who is this? Who are you again? He's saying you're the Lamb of God. Who are you? And what does Jesus say? He says, come and see. That's a nice invitation, isn't it? Later on, he says, come and die. Right? Take up your cross and follow me. Right? He doesn't say that at first. At first, he just says, come and see. And of course, we know that this is John himself because he doesn't give his name. Right? He says, two disciples, one of whom is Andrew. Right? Because that's how you know Uh, one of the ways that this is a a valid gospel uh, because they never make themselves the hero. The the Gnostic gospels, these crazy things written hundreds of years later, are about elevating those in the title of the gospel. John's all about calling himself anything but his name, right? And so he talks about he and Andrew and Andrew getting Peter and them going to see who is this, who is this Lamb of God? And so, he has made himself known to the world. He's made himself known to John. John's made him known to the disciples. Now the disciples are invited to get to know him themselves. And of course, we know the rest of the story. We know about his death and his resurrection and that truly his blood is sealing our hearts and our minds that his blood is is covering us and that truly death and sin have no more hold over us because of that blood of of this lamb and that changes our lives it changes the way we see ourselves it changes the way that we see the world and our lives become evidence they become testimonies to who god is or they're supposed to and this is the whole point of saint paul writing his letter to the corinthians he's saying uh the testimony the evidence is you You're the testimony of God. Sometimes we think of it as being something separate. I'm going to give my testimony. I'm going to evangelize. I'm going to tell the story. Well, okay, let's do that. But the main testimony is us. Right? What does St. Paul say is going to change? He says, you were enriched in all speech and knowledge. So we're supposed to change in what we know. When our speech changes, we change. Right? You, You know people that... You see, you talk differently than you used to. You you sound different than you used to sound, right? They've changed. They've undergone a change. What they know has changed. 
At one time they seemed maybe ignorant or naive, and now they've become maybe a little bit more wise or knowledgeable. There's some experience, there's some wisdom. He's saying that that you are that testimony, that your speech, your knowledge is changing. He's saying the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. So if people want a confirmation that Christ is risen and that the Holy Spirit changes us, he's saying the evidence is in the faithful community. And so this is what we're supposed to be taking into the world, right? We're supposed to be leaving here as evidence. We're evidence. When we go out in the world, we're going out into the world as evidence of the Lamb of God. We're the evidence of His sacrifice. We're the evidence of the Holy Spirit. The way that we live our lives, the way that we talk, the way that we prioritize, the way uh, that we communicate with one another. Right? When people come into our sanctuary and they participate in our fellowship, the way that we have fellowship with one another is evidence of God's love, of who He is. That whole concept of, of evidence and of knowledge is a strange one to me. Because John says, I myself didn't know him. He says it twice. Isn't that strange? I myself didn't know him. Well, if John didn't know him, who does? Right? This is the same John the Baptist who was in the womb of Elizabeth who jumped when he heard the Virgin Mary's voice, right? He's known Jesus since he was in the womb. They're cousins. What do you mean you don't know him? He's a member of your family. Close family, apparently. He knows him on sight. The Father speaks about him. And then this is what John says. He says, He was made known to me by the Father and by the Holy Spirit. I saw the Spirit descend. In some way, John's saying, don't take my word for it. God himself has made him known. God himself has given that testimony. And that, to me, should be a great lift of a burden from us. Because sometimes we think that I've got to convince people that Jesus died and rose again. Good luck. Right? I've got to convince people that, that God exists. I mean, look around. If the creation doesn't proclaim the existence of God, then any word that we say, what's that going to do? We know that some of the most amazing conversions that are happening right now in the world are happening when God appears to people in dreams. Christ himself is appearing in dreams, and they're going and saying, who is this one that I see robed in white who says that he loves me? And then our whole job is to say, I know him. He was revealed to me too. God spoke to me too. He's changed my life too. And then just the changing of our lives, just the the story that we can tell about how God has loved us, that's all that we need to tell. And the living of our lives and the way that we treat others, he will be made manifest in our midst. May he be made known today in our hearts and minds, in our community, and in the world.